As some of you know, after living in China for 20 years, uh, Iris and I moved back to the States uh, about a year ago to take several months of a study break and to care for her terminally ill dad. Uh, Last spring, over a period of about 90 days, uh, we lost Iris' stepmom, her 51-year-old brother, and her dad. And so last year was a pretty difficult year for Iris, but she's bouncing back uh, this year. But it was very clear that we were definitely needed in the States uh, to help family during that period of of their life. Uh, This past summer, we moved to Orlando, Florida, and we've joined the staff of a Christian organization called Pioneers International. Uh, PI, as it's called, has about 2,600 staff. Uh, deployed in about a hundred countries around the world and the Orlando team asked us to come and uh, live there so we moved to Orlando in early July and they've invited us to help care for encourage and help equip uh, some of the staff on the field many of whom live in some very difficult places around the world as they uh, seek to serve Christ there But we hope to get back to Beijing at least uh, once a year, so we look forward to seeing those of you who remain here in the years to come. I want to introduce just briefly a a dear friend, Peter Tippin. Stand up, Peter. Um, Peter and I uh, met in college, and we've been friends for a long time uh, ever since. Uh, Rick and James were much too kind. Uh, capital community, this expression of the body of Christ and this portion of this huge city is a work of many people uh, over a number of years, and Peter's one of them. This is the first uh, Sunday that he has ever attended here, but he faithfully supported the church financially for 10 years. And so a big part of the reason that this church uh, was born and has grown and developed to the point that it has is because of people like like Peter and Kathy, his wife, and a number of families uh, that will never be known, but most definitely uh, have contributed greatly to what happens here and continues to. Let me ask you a question this morning. As you think about it, do your co-workers, uh, friends, and extended family have a generally positive or a negative view of the Christian faith. Just think about that for a moment. If you're like me, uh, some of your friends definitely don't have a particularly positive view of Christians or of the teaching of the Bible. Of course, there's a number of reasons for this. There's some... uh, Preachers, teachers on cable television that don't seem particularly authentic, and that shapes the opinion of a lot of people. In recent years, a number of very high-profile Christian leaders have failed to live up to the standards of their teaching, and because of that, it's become fashionable to ridicule the Christian faith and Christian leaders in a lot of movies that are widely seen, and that shapes public opinion. Other people have a distorted or a negative view of our faith because of false teaching or unbalanced, uh, inaccurate teaching. Several years ago, an opinion poll in New Zealand revealed that over 80% of New Zealanders 
believe that becoming part of a Christian congregation would significantly increase the stress in their life. And this can be traced back ultimately to, uh, apparently, to a number of groups that originally planted the church in New Zealand over 100 years ago. It appears that their teaching focused on rules, trying to conform our behavior to a particular pattern as opposed to focusing on the great beauty of the grace of God and his forgiveness and acceptance and his embrace of us through faith and all that that uh, produces. So all of this is unfortunate for a lot of reasons because the primary word that the Bible uses for the teaching in the New Testament is a Greek word that the English transliteration of which is euangelion. This word is used 77 times in the New Testament. Jesus used the word to describe his teaching. The Apostle Paul used it to describe his. And the word simply means good news. It's repeated over and over and over 77 times in the New Testament. It explains that the teaching it is offering is good news. Uh, The uh, news that produces gladness and encouragement and strength and energy in the minds and hearts of anyone who truly understands and embraces that teaching. And Bible scholars agree that the clearest explanation of the good news in the Bible is the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, chapters 1 through 8. In these chapters, however, before he explains the good news, he shares some very bad news uh, with us. He assumes the role, the Apostle Paul does, in the earlier, the very first couple of chapters, two and a half chapters of Romans, he assumes the role of a relentless prosecuting attorney with you and me and the dock as the accused. So I want to first talk a moment about the bad news, and then we're going to sprint, uh, principally focus upon the good news. Romans uh, chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, Paul says, All people are under the power of sin. No one is good, not even one. So the Bible in general, and this passage in particular, teaches us that something terrible has occurred in the human race. Paul says here that we are, quote, under the power of sin. Now, way of understanding that, it means like something like computer software becoming infected with a real destructive virus, just like that, our spiritual software has become corrupted with a type of spiritual virus. This virus deceives us. It causes us to pull away from God. It produces within us a predisposition to avoid God and to run from Him. It creates within us an interest in idolatry and and displacing His magnificence and goodness and glory with a whole broad range of other commitments and priorities from false gods, of course, 
to other things. It could be a family, business, it's anything. We can make anything into an idol, of course. It produces us within us uh, an unhealthy interest in immorality of various kinds, creates us within us a disposition toward conflict, that the Bible ultimately traces a lot of our conflict in marriage and relationships and at work and in life back to this spiritual virus, we can say, and a whole range of other problems. Now, of course, it's not intellectually fashionable to believe that there's anything uh, wrong with us. The current view in the popular culture is that we are all basically good. But two generations ago, during the Second World War, people would have thought that our current ideas about human nature is hopelessly naive. In the Second World War, between 60 and 70 million people were killed. 2.5% of the entire population of the world at the time. 25 years earlier, over 35 million people were killed in the First World War. Uh, During the 20th century, there was a greater slaughter of people by other people than at any time in the history of the human race. One of the two most important influences in my life and my believing in in Jesus were the writings of C.S. Lewis when I was in college as a non-Christian individual. Uh, C.S. Lewis was a professor at Oxford and Cambridge universities until his death about 50 years ago. And in his book, Christian Reflections, Lewis speculates about what might be the case if we ever encounter a race on another planet. He says this, When I observe how the white man has historically treated the black and how the stronger have treated the weaker, I have no pleasure and looking forward to a meeting between humanity and any other rational species. If we ever encounter in the depths of space a friendly and innocent race that is technologically weaker than ourselves, I don't doubt the same revolting story will be repeated. We shall deceive, exploit, enslave or exterminate. At the very least, we shall corrupt it with our vices and infect it with our diseases. We are not yet fit to visit other worlds. We have filled our own with syphilis, famine, torture, and war. With all that is hideous to eye and ear, must we go on to infect new realms? Few people with even a scantest knowledge of history seriously doubt that there's something wrong with the human race. And few people with even the smallest measure of self-awareness doubt that there is something significantly and deeply wrong with themselves. A little bit more bad news. In Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Paul goes on to share even more. Because he says, no one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what his law commands. 
the more we know God's law, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying it. So what he's saying here, this spiritual virus within you and me is so deep, it's so pervasive, it's so profound that you and I and our human power can do nothing about it. No amount of religious activity, no amount of church attendance, no amount of prayer, no amount of knowing the scripture. He says knowing the scripture won't help. He says knowing the the more you know God's law, instead of that helping us gain God's acceptance, we we just gain a clearer and clearer understanding of of how far we fall short. So that won't help. And then he says uh, shortly after the purpose of the law That is, if you look hard at the rules and regulations, and there are some in the Bible, in the New Testament, he says the purpose of all of that, of course, is in part to guide us, but it's also, he says, to keep people, you and me, from having excuses. He says it's to bring the entire world into judgment before God. So the very bad news is that the human race, including you and me, stand before God in error and in great need. In the beginning of this letter, though, in chapter 1, Paul wrote, I am eager to come to you to preach the good news, the euangelion. So where is the good news? Well, it begins in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 24. I want to mention what a couple of individuals have said about these verses. Martin Luther, of course, the great Protestant reformer in the the 16th century, once said that the teaching in these verses is the chief part of the New Testament that every Christian should know by heart and reflect on as the daily bread of their soul. Leon Morris, who's a famous Greek scholar, once said, this passage may possibly be the most important single paragraph ever written. So let's read these verses together. Romans 3, 21 and on down following. Paul says, but now, important word, but, in spite of the spiritual virus that infects us, there's some amazing good news on the other side of the equation. But now a righteousness from God has been made known. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Those who believe are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ. Now, there's some real depth here. This is is some of the deepest material of theological concepts in the Bible, certainly in the New Testament. But if we understand Paul's meaning, there's some incredibly good news in these remarks. First, in Romans 3.21, he says, But now a righteousness from God has been made known. An otherworldly goodness, 
a righteousness has been revealed to the human race in the purpose, in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. The Bible says God, the only begotten Son, came from the outside, visited the planet, and he displayed a grace and a goodness and a righteousness that had theretofore never been observed on the planet. And in their writings, we see Jesus' disciples struggling to fully describe the goodness that they observed in Jesus. Apostle John, for example, he attempts to do it in his short account. In his Gospel of John, in chapter 1, he says he's trying to persuade potentially a skeptical audience. And he says, we beheld his glory. He's saying, I was an eyewitness. I saw something that was life-changing, that was magnificent, that's incomprehensible and impossible to fully describe. But he says, it was full of grace and truth. So Jesus was this amazing blend of a loving kindness and a grace enveloping people, but also of a wisdom and a truth that cut through all the nonsense in the minds and hearts of his audience and, of course, in our own. And John organizes his whole book, the Gospel of John, around seven miraculous acts that Jesus performed and the insights that we can gain about his goodness and righteousness as a result of that. The letter to Hebrews, chapter 1 and verse 3, says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. Yeah, now that's, that's pretty impressive. Saying that when Jesus came and visited the planet there is within him and through him a vision of God that we will gain nowhere else on this earth in any other religion, in any other philosophy, in any other approach to life. And he says in, in uh, 22 and 23 of chapter 3, he goes on, he says, This righteousness from God comes down through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So he's saying here, As we move along, he's saying, you and I can experience this righteousness that came down among us, this goodness that we displayed, we saw, we see displayed in the life of Jesus. When we believe, that is, when we recognize the uniqueness of Jesus through whatever means, we understand him as the only begotten of God. And we understand what he has done on our behalf. We accept the truth of that information. And we embrace him as our own, our savior, our deliverer from this spiritual and virus that infects us so deeply. Then the righteousness from God comes down and becomes a part of us. We get a new program a new spiritual software that gives us the capacity to understand things we've never understood before, to live in a pattern and a way of life that we've never known before. And when that happens, sometimes 
It is incredibly inspiring to see the change of life that can occur in uh, some people who experience this. One of the great privileges of being with this organization that we joined recently is meeting people who have been dramatically changed by what we are reading in the scripture uh, this morning. They have experienced this new programming and they have responded to it with such availability that their lives uh, are a remarkable display of that goodness and righteousness from above. Uh, I was in a conference last May, excuse me, I was in a conference last May and I met the guy, we just had an instant chemistry, his name is Mark Egoff. So what I'm about to tell you, he's told publicly, so I'm not violating any confidences. Mark grew up in a military family in the U.S. He went to college, he's a very bright guy. He went to college, but uh, his uh, bad programming uh, ultimately resulted in his dropping out of college, and he wanted to go just see the world, so he went started traveling throughout the U.S., um, on freight trains, and he was heavily into drug use at the time, so he was out there for several months. His family's Christian were praying for him, but he and a friend, late uh, one evening about dusk, were on a freight train in northern Arizona, and they were wired. I don't know what kind of chemical they'd been using that evening, but they were walking along a catwalk, you know, on some of these... uh, rail cars across the top there's a way you know these kind of a metal grating that's across the top of them that you can walk along and he and his buddy were walking along just fooling around enjoying the beauty of the Arizona desert and uh, he heard a voice he said it's the only time in his life he's ever heard a voice that he could not perceive any speaker and the voice said you need to sit down he first he thought he might be hallucinating. He looked around, you know, and you know, if drug hallucination, he looked around, he couldn't see anybody, but it was very sobering. So he sat down. A few minutes later, his buddy was walking back on the catwalk toward him. The train at about sixty miles an hour ran under a cable, caught his friend right in the back and swept him off the train, and it crushed him. The chances of his friend surviving that were very remote. He thought about casting himself off the train, but he thought, if I do that, I'll break a leg or both, and then I can't help him. So he, wait, he waited till he went to the uh, next town. He told the authorities. They went back, confirmed you know, his, his friend was gone. But it, of course, impacted him very, very deeply. He went back home. He got back in college. He finished. He went in the Air Force. He became a pilot. He was very successful in advancing through the phases. He qualified to become an F-16 pilot, which is kind of the, the up, upper level of the fighter jets in the American Air Force. And he was just about to go into that program when he, he'd been growing. He went back and did business with God. He received the righteousness from above. And it started changing his life dramatically through his early years in the Air Force. And he felt somebody that God was saying, no, I have something else for you. Nothing wrong with flying F-16s, but I have something wrong, uh, else for you. 
So he moved to Chihuahua, the province in northern Mexico, where there's this huge amount of drug cartel activity. It's one of the biggest heroin-producing areas in the world, something I didn't know. And he started flying medical supplies and uh, mission staff and resources of all kinds into these Mexican villages that are under the darkness and the oppression of the drug cartels. The cartels will shoot at the aircraft because when you overfly these poppy fields, unidentified aircraft, they'll shoot. And so they have to figure ways to go from destination to destination without it getting shot out of the sky. One of his friends flying a plane got shot through the belly. Uh, both, you know, all the way through, he was able to get himself to a clinic uh, and survive, still flying today, but he's got a, he said, a heck of a scar on the front and back of his, of, of his belly. Ten years Mark has been down there. He met a Mexican national physician in a clinic, married her, and together with a team, they are displaying in this very dark place the righteousness from God. Parallel to all this darkness, there is something else. And it's because they've received this new programming and they have responded to it well. Verse uh, 24 of chapter 3, Paul says, Those who believe are justified freely by his grace. When we receive this, we aren't indebted to him for it. We don't have to pay him back. I just spent the previous uh, three days this week in Xining in West China. I was talking to a friend every year at the Muslim celebration of Korban out there. There's a huge mosque in Xining. 300,000 Muslim men come and they worship during, at this mosque during the celebration of Korban. He says, for three kilometers up and down the streets outside this mosque, all of these men in unison are praying five times a day during Korban. Why? Because in that system, praying five times a day toward Mecca and the other rituals will earn you acceptance with Allah. It's like medieval Catholicism, keeping all the sacraments. You must keep these rules in order to slowly gain and earn the acceptance of Allah. This is something entirely different. Paul is saying that the righteousness from above is a gift freely. And when we receive it, there's no strings attached. When we understand that, it will change us deeply and profoundly. And then finally, in verse 24 of Romans chapter 3, he says, All this comes about through the redemption that came by Christ. Uh, Now, to redeem The word redeem simply means to exchange one item uh, for something else of value. And so this is one of the verses that explains this deep spiritual mystery. And Paul tries to describe that mystery in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this is deep. It's as deep as it gets. In theological studies, there are several theories of how this might work. But the point of relevance is that it does work. 
and that Jesus' death illustrates his extraordinary self-sacrificing nature and our value to him. Close with this story. Uh, when, P- when Peter and I were in college, we went to college at, in Texas as a big university, and uh, every year there was a college rodeo. Um, some of you know, may, I'm sure have seen rodeos in person, or maybe you've seen it on uh, television, but rodeos are where people ride wild horses and wild bulls, big, huge, one-ton bulls, and they rope calves, and they, you know, wrestle steers to the ground and, and all that. Well, there's one that was hosted and sponsored for the students at the university, so our, we were in the same uh, men's club, a fraternity together, and the guys were trying to, let's go out there. You could actually sign up and ride one of the bulls. And so, you know, I, we, our, our fraternity should be well represented at this rodeo, so let's go out there and let's, you know. So I, you know, I was not <laughs> particularly attracted to this idea, but we go out there one night, and these weren't the professional stock, the biggest and the baddest bulls. These were just semi-big and bad. But I go up, and there was a pen with a bunch of these bulls that the students were going to be riding, bareback. And I, there was these rails, and I, I got up about two or three feet from this bull. And it, there was no doubt this bull wanted to hurt me, <laughs> as did all the other bulls. I chose not to be a part of the rodeo uh, that year. A couple of guys, a couple of friends did and survived it. But I, I was watching rodeo on television one day, and the worst nightmare of a professional rodeo bull rider is to get your hand caught in the leather gear that keeps you on the back of that bull. Because if it gets caught there, you cannot escape. The bull is too big and strong, and people die. Uh, it's just like uh, base jumping and other, you know, extreme mountain climbing sports and so on. People get killed in rodeo and do, with a fairly routine uh, basis, but guys go on and do it anyway. But this TV uh, clip showed this professional rider, and the leather got entangled in his hands, and he couldn't get off. And this bull had these big horns. He was trying to hook him. You know, and it just bounced and bounced until the guy was knocked unconscious. And then they were just dragging him along the ground while he was hanging down while this bull was trying to crush him. And these rodeo clowns came around, and and a bunch of cowboys that were in the area came around. But everybody was so terrified and threatened by this bull that everybody was sort of paralyzed. And then this one big cowboy walks up to the front of this bull and he casts himself on the top of the bull's head between these horns and he gripped him around the neck which then allowed all these other guys to surround him and disengage this guy and save his life and i saw that tears started rolling down my face and it wasn't but a minute i said that's a picture of the sacrifice of jesus Spiritual virus, deadly for the individual and the race. He comes, he delivers himself up. 
Our sin gets transmitted to him. His righteousness gets transmitted to us through belief. And a totally new way of life is possible and available as we learn and grow and develop in it. If you've accepted Jesus this morning, the Bible has some very, very good news for you. You are accepted fully by God, freely, and you have a new spiritual operating system. If you're struggling, and I suspect most of us are in one way or the other, keep trying to figure it out. Keep learning. Keep studying. Stay connected with your close Christian friends. Receive counsel. Pray. Do whatever it takes so that this new operating system can be the prevailing force in your life and so that you can then fulfill the purposes that God has for you as an individual in his kingdom program. If you've not believed in Jesus this morning, the Bible also has some very, very good news for you. Uh, You have extended to you an offer of profound forgiveness and acceptance, a righteousness from above that you can never gain on your own is offered to you freely through belief in Jesus. And if you've never done that, uh, I, other friends up here, we would be delighted to talk to you, to pray with you after this meeting this morning. So if you've never done that and you'd like to consider it, please, after this is over, come up. We'll talk for a few minutes and hopefully we can move you just a couple of steps further down that path.